Welcome to Getting Cozy with Erin Hill. Now here's our mama. Hey y'all, welcome back to Getting Cozy with Erin Hill. Today we are in the amazing, magical place of Pixar's Animation Studios in Emeryville, California. And I am just on cloud nine right now. I am actually joined by producer Chrissy Kababa and writer-director Erica Milsom. And I could not be more excited to be here. Guys, welcome to the show. Hi Erin, thanks. Hi Erin. Really happy to be here. So honored to sit down with you ladies and discuss Loop, basically the most recent short film from Spark Shorts. And it was released on January 10th on Disney Plus. So if you haven't seen it, please see it. It is incredible. We're gonna talk all about it. We're gonna dive deep. Before we do, I actually want to ask both these ladies how they became the people that they are today. So Chrissy, I'll start with you. Can you just kind of tell me a little bit about your childhood and did you always want to be a big time producer? Oh, well, I don't think I'm a big time producer, but thank you for saying that. <laughs> um, yes, I'm, you are. <laughs> yeah, she's so humble, you guys. I grew up in Southern California in a city called Torrance, which is south of Los Angeles. I had a great childhood. I, I grew up playing sports and I danced and I rode horses sometimes. So I had a, I had a really large extended family that got together a lot for family gatherings over holidays. And so there was a lot of consistency in my life, a lot of different people in my life, which I think helped me learn to be who I am today. Southern California at that point was a great place to grow up there it was obviously the weather is beautiful so there's all kinds of outdoor sports that you can do pretty much all year round I played soccer and softball and I swam and my family was also very active I, I did a lot of camping when we were growing up and so I spent a lot of time in nature which you know, helped me with loop and we also did a lot of car trips when I grew up you didn't have to wear seat belts there was no seat belt law and so we had a one of those old VW vans and one summer, my dad and my mom drove me and my sister across country from L.A. to Toronto. And we stopped at campgrounds all along the way. We stopped at different tourist attractions along the way. And we spent a lot of time in the back of the van, like reading and playing games and using ourselves before cell phones. So that was a really, <laughs> for me, it was a really great and idyllic way to, to grow up. Yeah, it sounds like it for sure. And then for you, Erica, how is your childhood? I love it. I feel like I'm in a therapy session, but, <laughs> but a nice one because honestly, like I also, I had a really fun and happy childhood. My parents were both educators. So my dad was my elementary school principal for a while and my mom stopped teaching when we were born, but then went back and did substitute teaching. And she actually subbed a lot in special ed classes, which is part of, I think, the early origins of Loop. I would spend a lot of time helping out. Like in the summers and stuff, they had classes that were more experiential and more field trip based. And so I would end up with my mom going out and roller skating with a whole group of people who were differently abled, who experienced the world differently, going to movies and stuff like that. So I feel like both of my parents sort of taught me a lot about being around different kinds of people and paying attention to the lives of others. I think as educators, they were really like beautiful, thoughtful people who always, they had this powerful idea that you always ascribe good intention to behavior. So you kind of consider what people might be hoping to do, 
even if they're making a mistake or having a fight or you know like being yelling like all the things that kids do in the world you know they always kind of looked at it with a great sense of generosity and I think it's weird but I think that helped me as a filmmaker a lot in writing characters and exploring character arcs because you can look at a character making mistakes but see what they hope for underneath it and um, I think that's just a powerful gift that my parents gave me about humans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I wish more parents had done that. Yeah. You know, yeah. they kind of prepared you for the real world. Mm-hmm. Right, right. No, they were very evolved 70s parents, for sure. <laughs> and then, you know, just another side of that is I, I actually grew up in rural Colorado. So canoeing, I first learned to canoe through the Methodist men's group. For some reason, I was the only wow. girl invited on the men's group canoe trips. And so I like learned a lot of weird things like how to make chili and how to canoe. <laughs> yeah. But I it was Your sort dad of dad was a member of this group? Yes, my dad was oh, a, me- okay. a Methodist man. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Grew up in the Methodist church and there was like it was a men's group and I think I felt very mad that girls couldn't go. And so my dad's like, Well, you can go. It's okay. <laughs> and then and it was very fun. But that's how I kind of learned to canoe early on. And I think one thing from my childhood, so there's like sort of the stories that come into your adult experience as a filmmaker, but also moving from this very, very small towns in Colorado and coming to the East Bay of California, I really loved discovering that these very urban kids I was around, I was actually teaching after school programs out here and working with kids from all over the East Bay and San Francisco in job training programs for most of my 20s. And I feel like the connections that we had were so deep, even if their experience of childhood was totally different than mine in terms of the place and location and culture, learning how to be in the space you're in and play there and explore was something that we all had. And so that was definitely, when I came up with the idea for Loop, I didn't want to set it in the kind of camp that I went to when I was a kid, because that was out in the woods and far away from, you know, kind of the cultural connections that we can make. I wanted to really put it in an urban landscape so people who might live in a city could really connect with it as well. And that it would represent like kids I knew who I loved here in the East Bay. And you did such a great job of that. Oh, thank you. And, you know, that brings me to ask what did inspire Loop? Was it your upbringing? Was it, you know, those experiences that you had at camp? I'd love to hear, our listeners would love to hear how that kind of came to be. You know, it's funny, when I first got the opportunity to make a Spark short, I was sorting through my head of like, oh my gosh, where should I put it? What should it be about? We've done outer space with Wally. We've done inner space with Inside Out. We've, you know, gone to the kitchen with Ratatouille. We have explored so many places through Pixar. I feel like I was stuck in this weird spin about imaginary landscapes. And then I really said, Erica, you need to go back in and think about yourself. And like, this is a unique program that's about letting people speak through experiences that they have that maybe nobody else has. And I thought a lot about my experiences working with adults with disabilities and kids with disabilities in my life. I've had a lot of like lucky moments of being in neurodiverse environments and not being necessarily the majority in the way that my brain works, actually being the minority. A couple years ago, I was working at a place called NIAD, which is an art center for adults with disabilities. I was volunteering there a couple days a week teaching a class called Acting for the Screen. And it was really fun in California. Kind of, I was still working at Pixar. I just had like a day a week where I would go volunteer. And that art space was for folks who were very different in a lot of ways, many different kinds of disabilities. One thing that I found myself experiencing a lot, though, was I would sit next to a person whose language or communication style was not something that I'd had experience with before or that I knew how 
to connect with initially. And so it's funny, I'm a very chatty person. I'm pretty good at small talk, nice at parties, you know. <laughs> I, can, I can detest to that. Erica's great. She's a great networker, great at parties. I can tell. She's a great wingman. Thank you. I love wing it. Woman. Wing woman. I work hard on it. I work hard on it. It's a funny, it's like a space that I feel really easy in, usually is making connections with people I don't know. I remember taking note of the fact that I was having very weird experiences where I would just, since I couldn't understand someone, I would maybe talk too much to them and try and express myself and use you know too much language to bring them in maybe trying to use my hands too much like I basically just made a big scene I want to be your friend <laughs> let's communicate and it didn't work and it actually probably drew the person farther inside of themselves than drawing them out and then along the way I learned those lessons and I learned how to be at ease with it and find a different space in the art place. And then I just had like this great time connecting with all these people who some used words and many did not and just kind of would communicate with their eyes sometimes, would communicate through gestures or writing or painting. And it was a really wonderful experience for me to hang out there. And so when I finally started to think about the spark shorts, I was like, you know what, that world between us, I haven't seen it on film really before. I mean, I'm sure someone has done it before, but I hadn't seen it before. And I thought as an animated film, it offered this great possibility to explore gestural vocabulary, which is always like a wonderful thing in animation, working with animators to understand the physicality of a character and how they communicate and what's unique about their way of being in the world. And so I knew that would be great if we had a non-speaking character. And then also just as we moved into deciding that this story was to be about a person with autism, the point of view and the experience of the sensory world around you. As we learned about autism, we were like, holy crap. We really began to understand what an amazing spectrum of sensory experience people have and how that could become a really beautiful opportunity in filmmaking. I think my childhood, hanging out with so many people through the special ed classes and you know my tiny town, we just were all very connected. And I think that kind of influenced it, but I would say much more influential was these more recent experiences with visual artists with disabilities. I want to add a little bit to that. Thanks, I think yeah. one of the things that I think was so important to Erica and to all of us when making Loop was that we wanted to portray people who are autistic as complete human beings that have joy and fear and sorrow and they have their own ways of communication. And we've seen so many representations on the screen of autistic people in a negative light. We've seen so many ways in which it's seen as a hindrance or a disability or just something that prevents them from participating fully in society. What we really wanted to do is to also show the positive side of it. When Erica was doing research, we found that there were quite a lot of people who found joy in their autistic selves, that you know they experience pleasure and sensory pleasure in a really different way than neurotypical people do. And so we really wanted to get that part of it too. We wanted to portray both sides of that. And I'm glad you brought that up because when I was watching it, I did see that very clearly represented. So you guys did Yay. an amazing job. Yeah. Yay. Yay. Seriously, you did such an amazing job of doing exactly that. Let me hear about how you guys came together to work together on this project. Mm -hmm. So did you know each other before? We actually did, yes. This was sort of, um, I wish Michael was here to talk about his part too, but, but originally Michael Warsh is the other producer of Loop, and he worked with Erica from the beginning. So he was the producer of Loop loop for about half of the production 
and then he got a promotion here at Pixar and became incredibly busy and so okay. they were looking for another producer to come on to finish the project and I was here I was working on float at the time and Erica and I had worked together on several different projects one of my early jobs at Pixar was with Erica's team of the documentary filmmakers here at Pixar and so I knew her from that and then we also worked on a independent documentary full-length feature that Erica directed so we we had a working relationship already and it was a natural thing for me to just say okay I'll jump into this one and I'll I'll take it home it was really great because I have to say when you're like Michael was so wonderful and you get really bonded to your producer and then when you're like you're leaving okay <laughs> halfway through it, it you know and but just the idea that it was Chrissy who I have such an easy relationship with I can trust her so thoroughly to push it all the way through and like be a great sounding board and connect to the story immediately and run two spark shorts at the same time she is a big time producer she was <laughs> producing two spark shorts concurrently and really managing to give them both like so much love and I I really yeah was very lucky that Chrissy came on at that stage and it was wonderful to work with Michael at the beginning stage right but you know sort of when you're like oh no it's nice to have a great friend who you know you have a great relationship with already yeah Let's talk about how you, Erica, how you created the characters of Marcus and Renee. would love to hear just how they kind of came to be. That's great. I have to say the first character I really understood and could put in that boat and immediately was Marcus, who was named Rocket in the original version, oh. just FYI. And I think that's because I, number one, like the canoeing thing, I sort of knew how he would feel about the boat and about that experience of being out there, that he would enjoy the act of canoeing he would be really into like getting better at it but also like who he is as an african-american boy because i've worked in the east bay a lot and i work with a bunch of nonprofits. i had just spent a lot of time with young african-american men or, or boys um and i was so excited to put somebody in that boat who i haven't seen represented in that way before you know, that I haven't seen someone who, you know, wears his hat at that tilt, who is from like Oakland, East Oakland, maybe, and who is such a good canoeer and such a good friend. But I have seen those people in my life a lot. That's the weird thing is like, I hadn't seen it on film, but in my life, I've had such great experiences of young men who are such powerful and funny connectors and ambassadors of sports. And we had actually my friends run a boat and bike shop over in Aquatic Park, which is right around the corner here and was like kind of the inspiration for the location of Loop. And the young men who work there are um, from all over Oakland. A lot of, there are some girls, but it's mostly young men. And they are just, I could hear their voices talking to Renee. I could hear what they would say in that situation. And it was really easy. Plus when you have a character with dialogue, when you have friends who, you know, kind of are from that place and you can imagine what they would do it just helps a lot so really Marcus's voice his experience how he would take it what he would do like just I could feel him right from the beginning so that was great when even when he was rocket so then you know the other character Renee it was funny because initially I was like well okay maybe she'll look a little bit like me which is I think an interesting thing her initial designs were like a slightly chubby white girl who uh liked to wear a pink shirt that was based uh -huh. on like Erica as a young person and you know when I first started trying to figure out what her voice was going to be I could hear her voice because I've heard a lot of people vocalize so 
I knew what she would sound like. I don't know if other people on the crew necessarily knew what she would sound like, because if you haven't been around spaces where people feel free to vocalize, who feel free to not use words, but use other things, you may not have heard a voice like Renee's before, but I had heard it. So I could hear her voice, but then I have to say, like figuring out who she was, her internal self, I knew that she would like reeds. If you're a person who's driven by sensory experience, it's like such a beautiful sensory experience to touch like the tops of grasses or reeds. Like it just feels, it tickles, it's just lovely, right? So I knew she'd like that, but I didn't know much else about her initially until we were, I was riding along and I got to the space where it was like, she needed to show him her phone. And I was like, well, what does she say to him? with her phone like he's you know he's asking her like you gotta give me a little help and then I wrote like she pulls her phone out and it's got a poop icon and I was like oh my gosh that's Renee she has such a great sense of humor she's funny and she is someone who can like use misdirect to get what she wants and she's gonna laugh at her own joke a little bit like and that's a moment of connection so that was really like a lovely moment for me where I was like oh okay I hear you sweetie here you are you're talking through me in your particular voice that is different than mine and then I'm trying to remember the other stuff like a lot of the other character things about Renee I had written in like she's going to have a meltdown you know it was sort of just like a bullet point and then we actually brought in one of my friends Adriana Citron, who is a person I've known since she was born. She is autistic. When I first started, we couldn't figure out quite who we wanted as our formal advisors, but I knew I needed the voice of an autistic person talking to me, like telling me, how am I doing? Is this all right? So Adriana came in and we read the entire script out loud. And then we talked about her experience of some of these moments in her life. She's, I knew she had had a lot of meltdowns and also shutdowns. And I was really like, if you're comfortable telling me about this, I want to get inside what it feels like and what you would do and what you need and what you've not had and you know how people mess up. And so she really helped us to understand that moment and kind of where Renee would need to have a quiet, safe place to regroup. Renee uses her hands to stim and sort of to settle herself down. And that was advice we got from our, our autistic self-advocacy network colleagues. They helped to find that part. But I think for... Adriana, she was like, she needs to be somewhere safe and quiet where nobody's talking to her. And she's like, the thing I want least in the world is to be left alone, but you can't actually touch me, you know, when I'm in those moments. So I feel like having someone stand by and care enough to be there was huge. She really, I, I must have written that already. I forgot, but I think I must, I had that in there because she was like, this is the friend I wish I had had my whole life, you know? And I was just like, I'm so glad. <laughs> like, I'm glad he exists now, right? And I hope that he becomes a model for other kids who are trying to figure out how to be a good friend. Yeah, Adriana was so amazing for that. And then we, I call her AD. The Autistic Self Advocacy Network just like kind of helped us find the rest, which actually the idea of Renee being a young woman of color, girl of color, is what they sort of helped us find. I think when I first started this short, I was real nervous that I was going to make a short about two people whose identity I didn't share. That was just something that I wanted to be really thoughtful about, really careful about, and make sure that I was always checking in with people to make sure, I don't know, that I wasn't making mistakes that people often make about telling someone else's story. So that was great about Marcus. I had different people who were parts of our story trust who are African-American men who could kind of reflect that. And then going to the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, getting their thoughts. And the one wonderful thing they said to us after we showed the first time, they were like, you know, we love this. They really liked the whole story, which was wonderful. And they didn't have 
ton of notes on it, maybe a few, but they were like, hey, we just want you to know that part of what we love is that you're actually representing an autistic girl's experience, but we also wonder if you might consider changing her ethnicity if that's something that's not super precious to you. Because one of the things that we have found in our studies is that doctors and therapists self-report that they're highly unlikely to diagnose someone of color with autism. And that the more models we have out there of different kinds of people who are autistic, they will have better opportunities for therapy, treatment, consideration. When you have a different way of being in the world, you want to have people understand it and see that as like, oh, maybe... That's what's going on here. Because there's a generosity, I think, to understanding someone a little bit that is not always something that people give to someone they don't understand their behavior. That immediately made me think, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not that attached to her looking like me. People who look like me have been on screen a lot, <laughs> so I'm okay. And it was great, so it was great. We changed her ethnicity, and then we found our actress, our voice actress, and they look almost exactly alike. Uncanny. They meant to be, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just want to talk about a few scenes that really touched me while I was watching. Oh, cool. I really enjoyed the friendship that they built, and they, it was kind of like a slow burn, right? I mean, at first he was kind of like, I don't want to go on a canoe with that mm -hmm. girl. I don't understand her. I can't talk to her. She won't talk to me. Mm -hmm. And I love how you just saw how his heart just grew and opened to her. Mm -hmm and how he became just exactly who she needed him mm -hmm. to be, you mm -hmm. know? And yeah, like you said, I mean, her, her humor came through and she's not even verbal. Like it, that's, to me, that's like, wow. Like that was incredible that you were able to do that, you oh, know? Thank you. Yeah, definitely, because when, we, when I saw that emoji, I was like, oh my goodness, that is so funny. And, and she was just trying to get him to go through the, the reads, right? Yeah. And she knew there was a porta potty there. So mm -hmm. she's like, well, A to B, straight line, right? It's mm -hmm. right there. And then having him like come back through and then that whole cave scene where her ringtone goes off and it's just too much for her to take. And he, you can see like the empathy that he had. And I love that because, you know, he could have just been like, oh my God, it's not a big deal. Suck it up or whatever. But he was so empathetic and I loved how that was portrayed. And then, you know, when she had the fit, he just sat by her side. And I was just like, oh, my God, we all want someone like this in our life, mm -hmm. you know, autistic or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, we want that person that's just going to sit by us when we're breaking down. You know, yeah. we've all had panic attacks and whatever and not even being in that world, mm -hmm. you know. And that just really, really resonated with me as well. I did have a question about the end because it said something about, can you meet me? Oh, yeah. At 3 o'clock. Oh. Can you explain what that yeah. is? Yeah, that, that last shot of the film was something that we we weren't sure we were going to be able to do early on because the Spark Shorts have such a limited budget. And this short is a little bit longer than some of the other Spark Shorts, and we had to be so economical with everything we did. And so we weren't quite sure if we'd be able to make that last shot of the phone in the, in the rice bowl work. But we, at one point, we showed the short when it was almost fully animated to our consultants at the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network. We showed it to them a couple times during production. And they had a lot of great notes for us. One of the notes that they had was that it was so stressful for them when Renee lost her phone. Because right now, like, the phone is such a critical means of communication 
for them and they said that is just heartbreaking that she lost her phone they're like I wish there was some way she could get it back and Erica said well I actually <laughs> planned this shot oh. um, but when, so when we heard that we said okay we have to make it happen and our supervising technical director and lighting uh, director of photography Danielle Feinberg immediately started scheming okay how can we do this can we do rice can we do a bowl instead of a bag you know as long as it doesn't move we can make it happen <laughs> and so it really really um, provided some closure I think to get the phone back and it's Marcus texting her yeah. saying hey you know can you can you come out and canoe today so oh so that was a canoe yeah. it was a canoe emoji and then it has dog 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 which is woof 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 and then there is actually an easter egg in that as well so it's like it's a very oh, layered little last frame yeah. it's been funny listening to twitter because like the twitter people are all like, i watched it the third time and i saw that i was like how is it playing but they were like i saw oh they're gonna be friends yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like, it was really cute yeah. yeah the text is from marcus yeah, yeah. i know yeah. that was so heartwarming oh that's so great and the um the ringtones was just so so unique so how did that come to be she's all excited yeah. i'm excited because while i was making this film Every day I rode my bike seven and a half miles here and seven and a half miles home. And I thought about it obsessively. I have an electric bike, so I'm not like a super athlete. I just <laughs> like riding my bike to her. You shouldn't have said anything because people are like, wow. She's amazing. amazing. No, she is, no, she is amazing. Athlete oh, is amazing. Thanks. I actually, I think a big part of when I'm working on something creative and sort of want to unwind my brain, I bike riding, a lot of stuff happens on the bike ride. So I would always be stopping on the bike ride and like making a video of some thoughts or like writing something down. But one day I was like, oh, this ringtone okay I've written a ringtone in here and it needs to be catchy and fun and we cannot pay a composer until the very end so we need it in there and I was like but but <laughs> like, I had well I did think I actually was like there are some very catchy songs that have woofing in them that I thought on the way the day before then I found the little song and then I sent it to her I sent it to the sound guys. I was like, hey, here's this ridiculous recording of me singing this. And then we went through, actually, there are so many versions. I can't many remember. versions. I, I want to release them, the yeah. crazy versions of the ringtone, because going from this like little ba-da-ba-ba-da, how do you make that sound like a ringtone? It was great. Adrian Maruri, he's a sound sound engineer engineer yeah thank you here and he and I and some other people we just sat down and played with that little song and then we did it in like sitar you know we did research on what did ring what was the best ringtone of like 2016 <laughs> like trying to figure out like what makes it a ringtone you know it's interesting because for her it's the most wonderful sound in the world like I feel like it's a really comforting and wonderful sound so for sound design for this film we wanted to open it on like just you being in Renee's experience of that ringtone. So it's like the first sound you hear. Our mixer is Kenny Pickett, and I've worked with him on a lot of films and love him so much. And he just, you know, he was so excited to work on this film because of the shifts in perspective and being able to use sound as an expression of point of view and feeling Renee's presence. Yeah, he did a wonderful job. He did a lovely job. And so that ringtone sort of you hear it really ringing through her head and how she feels it in the beginning and then as you go through the film like there's different shifts in what it feels like and what it means and that's a 
yeah, so I'm glad you asked. Yeah, it definitely stuck out to me, and I'm like, I have to ask that question. Yeah. No other people have that question. So, wow, I cannot thank you guys so much for diving into this wonderful film. You know, I am an entertainment and reality TV podcast, so I have to ask, do you guys have any favorite reality TV shows that you want to share with the listeners? So I think my favorite reality TV show is So You Think You Can Dance. I love that show. I love watching the amazing different styles of dancing that they feature and just seeing people like stretch themselves and learn different styles and try and dance their hearts out on the, on the show. I also have a special fondness for that because I used to dance and so it, it makes me happy. That's awesome. And what about you, Erica? I also love that show. That is the greatest show. And it also gives like all these amazing choreographers and yeah. opportunity, like dancers and choreographers you wouldn't necessarily get to see on stage mm-hmm. have this very beautiful opportunity to be in the living rooms of so many people. I, yeah, I love that show. Lately, I've been really obsessed with Cheer on Netflix. Oh. And I it was not like, I am like the antithesis of a cheerleader. I was not a sport person. Cheer is such a powerful story of finding your way in the world, finding the thing that you love and... Let that one out. Yeah. yeah and can I also say yes. Pen15, it's not a live reality, reality show, although maybe in a weird other reality. It's a show about like adolescence and coming of age and it's really, really wonderful and weird and it's super not reality, but it feels sometimes like my reality was that is, when I was 13. Is okay. that on Netflix as well? No, that one's on Hulu. Okay, so, yeah. and 15. Okay, yeah. awesome. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Well, ladies, I cannot thank you enough. This has been amazing and I hope thank to you. see you again soon. You guys are doing incredible things. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you, Erin. And all of this was really fun. Yeah, it was super fun. Thank you for putting out such a a inspiring, beautiful short film. So thank you so much. Thanks for watching. All right, see you later. Getting cozy with me. Bye, cozies. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it with these ladies from Pixar. Loop is an amazing film. It's absolutely groundbreaking. Stream it on Disney Plus today. As always, thank you so much for listening, and you can follow me on Instagram at. Getting Cozy Pod, that's G E T N C O Z Y P O D, for all your reality TV and entertainment news. Until next time, stay cozy. Bye.